Hello, everybody. Chad here. Welcome to another edition of the Dark Art Society podcast, episode 107. My guest today is Tom Keebler, the incredible sculptor. I'm a huge fan of his work, and I have been since I first discovered it in the early 2000s. I can't say enough good things about his stuff. It really, really inspired me early on when I was getting into fine art. And um, I just love his work. I'm sure if you haven't seen his work, you're going you're gonna to dig it. There's no question about it. He has this amazing balance of realism and slightly caricatured monsters so that was a a great podcast the sound quality might be kind of messed up his microphone sounded kind of funky but brian is going to work on it and try and get it sounding a little nicer but it was a really excellent interview two hours long and it was simply awesome so what's been going on with me? I have good news to report on my pinched nerve. It is finally 95% gone. And that last 5% is more like regular normal pain instead of this weird burning nerve pain that I've had. So now I'm able to get back to work fully and not compensate for this excruciating pain that I had in my back and I could start meditating again. Start exercising again. So I'm kind of excited about that. Thank God that was brutal. So let's see. Trying not to say um again. I'm doing a lot better with it, I think. I really feel, you know, something I've been thinking about lately. I feel like I'm probably the worst person to be doing this podcast as far as being able to speak well. The only thing I got going for me. Aside from being very entrenched in the dark art world, is being myself, I suppose. That's all I got. That's all I can do. That's why I never really prepare questions for the show or think about what I'm going to say beyond reading the new Patreon subscribers and answering the five questions. I never think about it because I just don't operate like that. The best I can do is to just present myself honestly because I'm no good at anything else, really. I guess the same could be said about my artwork. So everyone seems to be enjoying the podcast, though. So uh, I guess it's working out okay. I just feel so not geared towards this kind of thing. (laughs) It's very strange. It's very strange. I've thought about maybe handing it off to someone who's a better speaker than me, but I don't know. This is just becoming what it's becoming, and that includes all of my weird quirks and crappy delivery and awkward speech patterns. So I'm just going with it like I have with everything in my life. Anyway, I've been getting ready for Monster Palooza. That's the other thing that's 
going on. That is April 12th to 14th. I have a booth there, booth number 88, and I'm getting some new sculptures done. They're being molded right now. Lots of weird castings of things that I had molded previously. Lots of weird layered, wacky colored castings, just trying out some new things that are kind of fun to do. I've got a new five by seven oval frame and I'm going to paint some oval paintings for that. This has sort of been part of the problem with the dystopia book is that every time an opportunity like this comes up to make money, since the book took way longer than I was expecting, I have to jump on it. Every time there is a holiday where I can have a holiday sale, an excuse to have a sale on my website. Anytime there's a, convention that I have to go to in order to earn. I have to stop everything I'm doing and concentrate on that. So I've kind of had to stop working on the book just when I was getting to the point where it is so close to just passing everything off to the graphic designer. It's terrible, but I had to stop so that I could do my aside from having this pinch nerve that allowed me to not sit in a chair for very long, which is all the work I'm doing for the book requires sitting in front of a computer Oh, I said, um, damn it. That was pretty good, though. I got a long ways without saying um there. I forgot what I was even saying. Well, anyway, I had to stop working on the book, work on Monster Palooza, and I've got to work on all these 5 by 7 study commissions I sold, pre-sold, while I was down and not able to really do any work. So it's going to be a busy month, let's say. Monster Palooza is coming up in a couple of weeks, and I've got to, I'm going to start these studies. I'll probably won't finish them until after Monster Palooza. Then after that, I got to paint for a show in Australia. I'm not going to Australia because I'm just so over traveling. I don't, I've traveled so many more places in the world than I ever wanted to. I am so happy just being at home in the studio. I really don't feel any need to travel. As much as I'd love to visit someday, now is not the time. Anyway, let's get on with, how about I read the new subscribers and then I'll answer the five questions and we'll get on with this excellent interview with Tom Keebler. Okay, new subscriber. Let's see, we got a deletion, a deletion. Got a few people who lowered their pledges. <laughs> Roger Sonnenfeld raised his pledge up to the $50 level to get a shirt. Thank you, Roger. It's awesome. Shirts, by the way, have been shipped to me and should be here by the time this podcast posts on Wednesday. So that's exciting news. Rye Pepper, thank you. And Daniel Kazra upped his pledge to the $10 level. Thank you so much for doing that. It's really greatly appreciated. As always, if you want to join the Patreon, it's patreon.com slash darkartsociety. And that is sort of the home base for this whole thing. You get kind of the scoop on everything that's going on as we develop this thing. Okay, let's get to the five questions. Brian Kilgore, the amazing dude who does the audio engineering on this podcast and runs the Instagram page, sent me 
five questions that you have asked. Okay, Thomas Sunstrand, are you making any future workshops, events in the future? Are, are you making any workshops? Okay, are you making any workshops slash events in the future? I don't have anything planned. My ultimate goal is to get a studio outside of my house. Once I have a studio outside of my house, I can have workshops there. I have this idea that I could probably pay for the rent by holding workshops every month. And as long as the rent's covered, that would be cool. But I'm still not quite there financially. I need to, I need to be in a better financial position to get a studio outside of the house. Right now I'm painting in my son's old bedroom. And it's very cramped. So anyway, that's where that stands. I don't really have anything planned at this point. But I would like to in the future. Okay, at Jaskal Singh, waiting for darkness? I don't know what that means, but I will say, waiting, it's already here. I don't think we're waiting anymore. Okay, at Pyra, that's P-Y-R-A-H underscore underscore, it looks like. How do you feel about the new Hellboy coming out? I feel like uh, I'm interested in seeing it. I'm curious. I know Mike Mignola, the creator, is really excited about it. So if he's excited about it, then it's probably pretty good. Because he's the guy who created the thing. I haven't seen a lot from it. I, I have to say I'm kind of partial to the Ron Perlman makeup, but I haven't really seen. I'm waiting to see the full makeup in the context of the film before I make any judgments. Not that it matters what I think anyway. But uh, I'm interested for sure. Okay, at Yair, whoa, Y-A-I-R dot K-D-R. Do you know some kind of theory art book like James Gurney's Color and Light? Yes, I do know that book, and I recommend it all the time. If you're a painter or any kind of artist that works in uh, two-dimensional realism realm, I would get James Gurney's Color and Light. It's really amazing. In fact, it's so amazing that it's kind of over my head. There's a lot of stuff that I haven't actually read through because very it goes way into color theory and how light waves work and all the and color gamuts i learned a lot from this book but there's still a lot more i could learn but as you know i'm flying by the seat of my pants so it's hard to sit down and find time to read things i love reading it's a shame at Osgood the Green, that's Caleb. How you doing? Got any good foreign horror movie recommendations? I do, actually. Now, let's see. This is from 2017, but I just saw it recently. And it's an Argentinian movie called, the English translation of the title is Terrified. And I believe the Spanish pronunciation, Spanish word is Aterrados, 
I asked my daughter-in-law who speaks fluent Spanish, and she told me that's how you pronounce it. Aterrados. I thought that was a really cool movie. I really enjoyed it. Super creepy. And I loved it. And that is the most recent foreign horror movie recommendation I have. I want to see Possum, which I haven't seen yet. We talked about that way back with the Dominic Hailstone interview. She designed the creature for that. But I haven't watched it yet. But I will. Because that's foreign, I believe. It's British or Irish or something. Foreign to me, anyway. Okay. I guess that's it. Uh, yeah. Thank you all for supporting. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoy this interview with the incredible Tom Keeper. Hello, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, Chet. Glad to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. My pinched nerve is better. I had a pinched nerve. Finally, it lasted about a month. It's finally better. Where did, where, what, where was the pinch nerve? It was like neck? neck going down to like my scapula and then down my right arm. Ah, God. Sculpting, sculpting arm, you know, painting arm. Yeah. So, but, so now I'm happy because that was a nightmare. How have you been? I've been okay. Yeah, it's been a kind of a long, kind of a, rainy dark precipitous winter you know yeah and uh, that doesn't sound bad i'm in you know, i'm in Toledo. or i'm i uh, i'm uh i'm in uh in uh near columbus ohio oh really and it's just been it's just been raining like constantly yeah and uh it sort of drags you down it's like i'm a, I'm a real outdoorsy kind of guy you know and, oh yeah uh, and I like to be outdoors, and it, it's everything's muddy, right. wet, flooded, you know. So, and I live on the wood in the woods on a hill, you know. So all this stuff is running down the hill, and right, it's a drag. I'm looking forward to warmer weather. I'm looking forward to some sun. If we ever get it, you know. Yeah. And, you know. So other than that, I'm I'm doing okay. I'm just I'm just uh. Making art. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good, you know, that, that's a kind of a good place to start this interview is one of the things, one of the many things that impressed me about what you were doing is that uh, I, I first saw your work. We, we talked the other day and you mentioned I wrote you in 2003. Yeah, it was, it was a, just a brief email saying that you liked my work a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I knew who you were and, and my buddy, Rich Clink, who, He's a sculptor as well. He does these really wonderful cartoony kind of stuff. But he, he's he's done, he's had this tremendous journey, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed he was a little kid. And I, I, I immediately called him and said, guess who emailed me, man? You know? <laughs> that's our wow. You know, so we had a little, you know, thing. Oh, you know, that's cool. Like, that's our work is cool. I, you know? I, I, I so, well, that's... That was the what I was talking. About. Yeah, that's nice of you to say. But I, when I first saw your work, I couldn't like I, I was so like, and everyone uses the term "blown away," but I was really blown away. It was, I, I then I just I, I was like 
stunned because there was nothing like your work out there, especially at the time. And th- there's still not really anything. I don't think, I think you, you definitely have your own niche. It, it's your own thing. Uh, but at the time, nobody was doing anything like that, uh, that I saw. And um, what really uh, doubly impressed me was that you weren't part of the Hollywood system because sculptures like that, I was only used to seeing from like the best Hollywood effects artists. And you were like out in Ohio. Yeah. And I was just like, how is this guy doing this work? How is he this good? Because I mean, I, I, I didn't get as good as I was until I started working at Rick Baker's. Like I was at another shop for 10 years um, for the first 10 years of my career. And I, I was a good sculptor, but I didn't get, you know, to your, to that level that you were at, at until I was at Rick's working around all these other amazing artists and seeing kind of like, what the potential was of what you could do with sculpture. So, I mean, how did you, how did you get so good? (laughs) (laughs) You're only seeing much of my, what you've seen from my work is, you know, what I've chosen to show you and from what distance I've chosen to shoot it at. (laughs) Right. uh, I've seen your work up close though. It's amazing. It's, it's Mitch Devane, Hollywood level sculpting. And I, God, I so appreciate that because I don't truly believe it. It's true. I, 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 I believe you that I'm not saying you're full of shit or anything. I'm just, <laughs> I, you know, some, some girl last year at a show, which, you know, she was saying something nice to me. And I was like, I, and she said, you have imposter syndrome. And she described that. And I was like, I guess, yeah, I guess that's kind of, cause I don't really, I see. I don't really have a face comparison with anybody else, so I don't know. Right. You know, I finally, I finally saw Mike Gill's work some like eight nine years ago. I went out, I came out to visit. I, I did while well, I was at your show. Oh actually. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was at the it was at the first uh, conjoined show, and um, that was it. I'll be darned. <laughs> stopped out to visit my kill and he showed me you know the frankenstein he was working on of course it was phenomenal right it was it was chained to the chair you know mm-hmm. and uh, and that was the first time i'd ever really looked up close at somebody else uh out there that was doing you know this kind of work now i need to preface this with i came from the animatronics industry Right. So I used to in the movie industry. I had started a company with a couple of other men. I don't often talk about this because it didn't end pretty, uh, you know. But uh, and, and like you, after I had time to get away from it for a while, you know, and reflect back and see, you know, my, you know, the things that I was responsible for, I, I softened up quite a bit. But I came from the animatronics industry we do all kinds of theme park stuff and and you know so while you were cutting your teeth in in the in the film industry i was cutting my teeth in the animatronics industry and doing disney kind of stuff and and that was a trial by fire because it is also like the movie industry it's due next tuesday and it's three weeks worth of work and and um and there were so many things that we didn't know. Oh, yeah. We had this stuff up as we went along. 
Not to mention the stuff has to last. That's, that's another right. added difficulty. Uh, we didn't have the luxury of just getting it on film. You know, right. it had to France and it had to cycle through a billion mouth moves before a skin would ever be changed. And that all the hair had to be rooted and it was going to be scrutinized. Right. And, you know, there was all these little engineering issues that had to be worked out. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, prior to that, I think the toy industry. Remember Mad Balls? Yeah. I was on the Mad Balls team. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Me and Jim Groman and Jimmer Elliott, Michael uh, 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 Robertson, and you know, it was. It was I, I got out of school and started with American Greetings, and um, and it was a blast. It was an absolute blast. Yeah, I bet. And, we, I worked for a company called Those Characters from Cleveland. I was friends with Tom Wilson of Ziggy, you know, the cartoon strip Ziggy. Oh, yeah. I started showing work in, you know, his girlfriend's gallery. Oh, okay. And, and so, and he was hanging out there all the time. And, um, and so we got to kind of know each other. And he is a hilarious guy. He was an odd guy. He was a hilarious guy. And he was an <laughs> genius yeah and I, this is back when i was making sculpting faces over skulls you wow. know like, skulls and making faces. just really can't be just you know not right. just shit you know just trying my best and, and and he liked me a lot we drank a lot together back in the day mm-hmm. and um sitting sat and drank wine at during gallon we uh, he hired me at those characters from Cleveland, and then he left and went to American Greetings and left me in this, you know, which I was a greenhorn man, you know. Uh-huh. But there was a guy named Elmer Cook who was a World War II veteran, and uh, Elmer was in the. I was hired as a concept artist okay. doing Mark drawing stuff, concepts for toys, and. And Elmer Cook was in the shop shop. He's the guy that made the molds for the toys that came up and, and stuff. And, and he was, you know, 72 years old at the time. Wow. He was a radio man in World War II. I heard some great stories from him. I bet. But I would go out like a pup uh-huh. and learn how to do molds and stuff. You know, stuff that I didn't learn. I was a metalsmith in school, you know. Um, so I'd learn everything I could from him. and. And my boss at, at AG kept chasing me back to my office and going, you're not supposed to be here. You're supposed <laughs> to be drawing, table drawing. And I, you know, I was bucking horns with everybody because, well, I was an idiot, you know. <laughs> and I just so wanted to learn that. I used my hands. Right. And so Elmer taught me a bunch of stuff in spite of, you know, I wasn't supposed to be there. And, and then Elmer up and retired and they went, okay, since you've been, you fill in at the shop. You know, until you hire a new guy. Mm-hmm. So they're all coming to me to make their molds and do their sculpts for their concepts and and make toys to what we call uh, what was the word for it? Uh, assess play value. So they throw these things out to little kids and watch behind a two-way mirror, or a one-way mirror, and and see if uh, the kids would play with these toys and stuff and. 
and, and I made their prototypes for a while. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but I kind of had an abrasive personality. Yeah. <laughs> my, and uh, eventually, you know, I, and the other thing that, I, that I've always suffered from when, in my younger days as a sculptor is, you know, you talk about ego a lot. Right. And I and it wasn't that I thought I was good, but I thought I had great ideas. Mm-hmm. I checked those ideas. Um, you know what, though, looking at your work now, you do have great ideas. I mean, clearly you've got you you are great at that. So I mean, there's some truth to that. <laughs> you know, and when I was, it wasn't true. <laughs> and that's like twenty five, twenty six years old when I was there. Um. You know, it, 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 the toy industry, like so many creative industries, are team player industries. Right. You know, there's art directors and art directors and oh. art directors. Yeah. And, uh, and I was just not easily art director. And finally, that they just got a little tired of it and said, you know. And right about that time, I met somebody that, was starting up this animatronics thing in a trade show field doing trade shows. Uh-huh. I left the toy industry just, just like three seconds before I got fired and, and they wished me well and everything. Yeah. And because I, I had a reunion with all these people. I actually set it up last year and we had a blast. Just the guys, just the Madball guys. Oh, cool. Those are, you know? Yeah. And um, and we had a blast. We had an absolute blast, and all was forgiven. You know? <laughs> yeah, nice. That's cool. But, yeah, so I went into the animatronics world, and, and we and it was before I knew silicone, and we used this stuff called Skin Flex from BJB. Ah, uh, the worst. <laughs> about this stuff, I'm sure it all. Yeah. In that- like six, it started to turn orange and and rot from the inside out, and yeah, it was a nightmare to get paint to stick to it. I remember that. Not only was it a nightmare, it was a health hazard. Right. It was, you know, I'm sure that I'm probably going to die an early death. I know. I was thinking from that. I think about that all the time with all the shit I worked with in my early right. days. Oh, my God. Naphtha yeah. and benzene. and Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the solvent for BJP paint was MEK. Right. I mean, Great MEK, you know, and and I would not every day I'd go home with a rip roar and headache yeah. from that shit. And then, you know, when silicone showed up, I was like, yeah! <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it was awesome. Yeah. You know, it was like it changed my life. Oh, but I know. The whole way we didn't know what we were doing. So we we I learned I had to learn a whole new way to make molds for, you know, and, and we made so many mistakes and, and, um, it was, it's just trial by fire, you know, and, uh, we did a bunch of museums and stuff like that, you know, we started off and, and it just kept going and going and that, that company, Life Formations is still going strong today. Wow. You know, um, I've been going there for, I don't know. 2001. I I I left there just before 9/11. Okay. That's long I've been gone. What? How long were you there for? Uh, I started that company in 19 with my partners 
and I use that term loosely because I was told I was a partner up until the time that I quit, and then they said, what partnership? Oh, no, really? So you didn't get anything out of it? Not, not a thing. That not sucks. Really. I, got, I got the drippings off of a key man insurance policy, which was, you know, a couple of grand, and it was just, yeah, but, you know, I didn't protect myself. I did not, I didn't, you know, so naive, and I just trusted everybody at their word and stuff, and then when I went to leave, I was, you know, I, I said, hey, I want my share, and they said, well, prove it, you know. Oh, so many, man, that's horrible. Assholes. Yeah, yeah. so, um, you know, I then I worked for a little bit for Gag Studios, which is just a Halloween prop, and that guy is really kind of a fun guy. And he did really Halloween stuff is fun, man. I did that for a few years. It's really fun. I learned a lot about about my own, you know, how to do my own promotions through Dave Gottschalk, who was the guy who owned that. And and he was was just a wacky, zany guy that Mm -hmm. had this big co-building thing with a bunch of girls airbrushing foam props. And and, um, and he carried me for a while with health insurance and stuff until I could get on my feet and I oh, just cool. did and, and and then just I, I it it's crazy because it just went as soon as I'd start to sweat, you know, about getting making a living, something else would sort of fall out of the sky and, yeah. you know, and, and land in my lap and then, you know, I uh, my first big sale came from I got Kara, my wife, who is really the biggest key to my success, mm. really. She's the, one that, she's the one that does the, the hard work, you know? She's, yeah. she's the stuff that needs to happen, and she manages a oh. lot of what I do. Cool. And, That's great. And if you have you know? Yeah. But uh, she's like, uh, we picked up this Spectrum book, and I entered the spectrum competition, you know, to get in the book, and I thought I didn't stand a chance. <laughs> no, you, you could do this. What piece was it? It was two pieces. It was the um, uh, the, the what was it? It was Cletus and Shorty. Cletus and Shorty paycheck. Yeah, <laughs> and the puppeteer. And, those are uh, those are both. I think still two of your most amazing pieces. I was just on your site looking, going through everything, and I was like, oh, my God, I forgot how amazing Tom is. <laughs> this is like. Yeah, that, that whole idea for Cletus and Shorty, we were doing a bike ride, and I was, we were, we were on this long bike ride. We are in a place we had never been before, mm-hmm. and there was three old cemetery, and there was this graveyard, really old cemetery, and, um, uh, there was a graveyard that said that that uh, one twin, these twins had died, and there were Cletus and something else I can't remember because the name was washed away by the weather and rain and stuff, you know. Right. And, and so, and their last name was Greeley, mm. and so I started on my way home. I started imagining these conjoined twins that they had lived and grew up and I just called them shorty. Yeah. You know, and I had these <laughs> wrenches that I got from 
the dollar store, the Dollar General, they were on sale for like two bucks a piece. And I cut them up and welded them together to make the leg brace and bought these big boots from the, you know, so I, anyway, I made these, I made this boot with this, this right. stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. That piece is incredible. <laughs> I entered in, in, you know, Kara did all the stuff and, and spilled out all the paperwork and all that stuff. To, and, you know, I, I had them photographed by a photographer I knew. It was before I started really photographing all my own work. I knew a professional photographer, so she, he shot the pictures. And I not only got accepted, but the Cletus and Shorty won the gold and, uh, uh, puppeteer won the silver in wow. the category of the thing. So, and then no sooner did that happen, but Mark Parker emailed me and said, "Are these for sale?" He saw them in the spectrum. Oh, you, you, Mark Parker owns your stuff. Mark Parker owns those two pieces. Oh my God! And I called me, you know, and he said, "How much?" And I can't remember what I spat out, but it was to me, it was like, you know. I thought, well, I did put a lot of work in, so and it was like he was ordering a pizza. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. This was, uh, you know, wow! It was, uh, and I was like, whoa, oh my god, this was because <laughs> I knew who he was. He, you know, he's a great collector. He's a great benefactor of guys like us. Oh yeah, and absolutely. Art loves all kinds of, them, you know. Mm-hmm. And lowbrow, he's a big Todd Shore collector, you know. Yep. So, which I love. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, um, so that was like the thing that launched me mm. into maybe I could do this. You know, mm-hmm. I thought maybe I can do this by myself on my own, and then it just kind of went from there, a piece at a time, a piece, and it's still going that way, quite frankly. It's right. still, it's still just you know, as soon as you know, I start to to wonder what's next, then a guy like Guillermo, you know, emails me and says. How much for this? Yeah. <laughs> and then, then then he has you know somebody you know email me a, a receipt you know right you know yeah yeah, so, yeah. that's uh, awesome that's amazing yeah, yeah that uh, how, were you still working when this happened or had you were you on had you left the animatronics business by this point animatronics business and and, and you know I, it, there was kind of a I started a kind of a lawsuit to try to recoup what I thought I was owed as an owner. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to be a ten percent ownership, and and you know I and at the time my family, my mother was really sick and stuff, and it was just all these things were caving in. Right. And then my seven happened. Right. You know? Wow. And and so there there was that, and I was just like, oh my god! But my wife was my rock, mm-hmm. and. and you know, she said, we're still going to do this. I'll take a job at this insurance company and wow. be a secretary And so amazing. And she went through that, you know, when, the, when 9-11 was going on. And, and so there was this, all this little stuff that, that was happening that just kind of linked puzzle pieces together, to, you know. And, and we were able to save with, with each new thing. We were, you know, I don't read a, a, a really... Um, luxurious lifestyle we're very comfortable but i don't have to have a new car and you know to keep up with the joneses by any means right you just you just live comfortably and i just love to do art yep so, 
That's the reward. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, that's pretty amazing. Um, I mean, how, how long had you? Did you just do Cletus and Shorty? Like you had that idea and you did it, or or did you have like a a, a, a concept to do like a line of these and just keep going with them? Was this like? A long-term plan or were you just kind of like oh this would be cool to do and then it and it grew from there or it's fun you know that i got so burned out because of the animatronics visit that i was i was emotionally in a lot of pain mm-hmm. really good friend of mine um said to me you know what and i this is why i got so much out of what what your you and and brahm's conversation you know because you said dope you know, Brom said, go back to, or was it you? It may have been you. I said, go back to when you were five or six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you love to do when you were five or six? And you guys mentioned the, the monster models. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and all the other kids. I mean, we have a lot of the other kids in the neighborhood. And my mother, growing up, bought ceramics in the basement, in our basement. Growing up, from the time I was nine years old, all the women, from our neighborhood would descend on the Keebler basement, <laughs> smoke cigarettes and bitch about the husbands and, and paint oh, the ceramics. <laughs> yeah. And I could hear all this crap through my bedroom registers, you know, women, <laughs> jokes, and, and laughter and stuff. And I was up till two in the morning on school nights, listening to these women. But what I would do is go down there and, Crushed clay off that from stuff that had broke, and right. put it in a paper or a plastic bag and pour water on it. You know, and two days later, I'd have clay. Right. Stuff. My mom would fire clay and stuff, and so that's really. I was a shitty student. I was. I had learning disabilities. Um, I yeah. You know, I'll just say it. I grew up in a very alcoholic home. Mm-hmm. I, you know, my, my mother basically died of the disease. Oh, sorry. Um, but, you know, it's one of the things that it's a disease. Yeah, it's, it is. And, uh, like diabetes and so, or anything else. Exactly, you know, and they just didn't, it goes, in my family, it goes back to the Stone Age, you know? Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, my, my grandfather basically, you know, died an alcoholic as well. Both of my grandfathers, yeah. actually. <clears throat> It's, and it, it really does. It kills more people than, than, and so, you know, and part of the reason that happens is because there's such a stigma to it that adds this degree of shame to it. I know. So, but she struggled with it. My dad did too. And, mm-hmm. you know, been sober for over two decades. Oh, good. Uh, most because of what I saw, you know, happen to them. And I thought, that's not the kind of life I want. I don't want to keep doing this. And so I stopped and, that stage stopped and, and and anyway, this guy that was basically my AA sponsor came. I became like my best friend, mm-hmm. you know. And he said, "Listen, what is it you really, really want to do?" When I left Life Formations, I said, "I can't do the animatronic. I can't work in silicon anymore. I've been, you know, I'm so burned out. I'm angry." And he said, "What else are you gonna do?" And I said, "I don't know. <laughs> you know, I really don't know. I." Have, I don't know. I still want to be an artist, but I'm just, you know, it, it fried me. So he said, do you make a piece that you really, really love? Absolutely. Do a big monster model, Tom. 
go back and be five years old. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so my wife and I were going up to our family cottage in Michigan. And on the way, we were hitting every antique store that we saw. And I had no, nothing in mind until I started buying cowboy boots. And then I got an old leather top hat. And then a gun belt. And then a fake Colt 45. And then a leather vest. And I'm buying this stuff along the way, and, and, it, it, and it wound up being um, uh, Carcass Pete, which mm-hmm. is on my list, the, guns, the dead gunslinger. Yeah. And so that was the first thing that, that sort of got me into this, I'm just going to do my own shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do my own shit. I'm just going to do what the hell I want, you know, yeah. and, and pray best. And, and uh, that piece was a big hit. I didn't sell it right away. You know, but it was but it was a, a big hit. I mean, it got a lot of response. Mm-hmm. Then right after that came Cletus and Shorty. Okay. Right after was was a, again a bike ride and right. things, thing you know, shoes and stuff started showing up. These big giant work boots, these old fashioned work boots, and I just cut up a bunch of wood and made a stack heel under the work boots like a Frankenstein boot on one of them. And I thought, wow, there's now I use the clothes end wrenches and start welding things together and that's amazing yeah so 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 you kind of started because you had the idea i'm gonna do because your sponsor was like do suggested you do make one of your monster model kits do what you would do if you were a kid again and you just chose the thing that you thought would be the coolest most fun thing to do right and then it it just built from there yeah and here's the Here's the kicker, that first Brom book that... Uh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right behind me here. Um, it's at the Dark Works book. Mm-hmm. I discovered that on that trip to Michigan. Oh, wow. It's before I bought all these antiques, and he had that book that he wound up writing. Right. You know, and so I saw that, and I kind of... And again, it's, that's how uncanny this is. And I made my own version of that guy before he wrote the story about him. Wow. Uh, and, and Yeah, so uh, the stars were lining up for you. It was cl- clearly you were on your path, you know. Yeah, and, and uh, like you, Rom influenced me to the degree that the first piece that I got out of my system to know that, yeah, maybe this is doable, was something that he inspired. Mm-hmm. Characters, and I just made him really rotten and skeletal right <laughs> and just had a, had a ball doing it yeah you know? yeah and it, it's funny because i did it in my garage and all the kids in my neighborhood just kept coming over and 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 watching in this crowd of you know i'm looking and and, and it got <laughs> thing where they get home from school and i'd have my garage door open working on this stuff and and they would all come over and watch right watch it and ask questions and That's so pretty cool. soon coming over and they're 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 narrating for me while I'm working and going, now he's pouring the silicone into the bowl. He's <laughs> like six years old telling the story to the next kid that comes up. It's so funny. That's hilarious. That's yeah. awesome. That's you know, that, that's a it is it you know, I think all of these kind of dark dark artists do have a really similar story, but but I think you know, you probably have the most similar story to me out of anybody I've interviewed because, you know, you were the Aurora Monster Model kid. I think we're around the same age. I'm 51. Are you? 
Oh, okay, so you're a little bit older than me, but we 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 were influenced by the Aurora Kids. We love the monster stuff. I was watching some of your other interviews, man. The same day. What's that? We're both. We're you're November twelfth. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> no. that, that has something. To yeah, do with that's it. a trip. That's a trip. But, but so. Yeah. It, you you were talking about how how you always have been attracted to the monsters and it feels like it, it's in your DNA and it's like I've said that before so many times and Halloween was always like the most amazing time for you as a kid I mean this is like exactly the kind of stuff that uh, uh, I, that 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 it's the exactly the same way I was as a kid as well and you're talking about your mom doing ceramics I totally forgot about this I've never mentioned it that my uncle was a ceramicist. And he used to make, he had a ceramic studio. I used to come home from uh, school and he would let me sculpt little faces out of clay. He would like kind of show me how to sculpt faces. I completely forgot about that. So that was another weird little similar element we had going, you know, when we were kids. It's a trip. It's really weird. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's amazing. Were, my grandparents had them on the wall. They were called the bosons. And there were all these faces from people from around the world. And they were beautiful. I remember spent. those. I remember those. I have them all now. I got, I got them up with my grandparents. They had like a, sail, like a sailor, right? And they got they these Egyptian guys. Right. Guys, you know, Irish guys. And with they're... The, <laughs> with the fez and the, or the berets and all that stuff. And, and, they're, 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 and they're amazing sculptures, right? And I did all of those. I made my own renditions of them. And, they were, and I still have those too, you know. And they're yeah. All, mucky mud pie looking but <laughs> but they were you know pretty good for a third grader or a fifth grader right <laughs> yeah i think i all... saw those in one of the video interviews did you show those <laughs> in one of the interviews i don't i may have i don't know I, they were like all I, lying flat down in a table i think they were actually pretty pretty great for a kid if oh, those yeah. were them yeah <laughs> i honestly don't remember if they i guess i guess i must have you were showing it was in yeah you were showing stuff in your studio and there was some like laying laying out on a table a bunch of little kind of like oblong sort of flattish faces. Well, was that the Schiffler Brothers thing? No, or, no, this what? is like an old interview I found on YouTube because I just I was just doing a little research before we before we started. I don't. I'll have to go find that. <laughs> I'll send you the link. <laughs> oh no! I think it was my my buddy Craig Vance. Uh, shot that interview for um, for his Norman Grimsby thing. Right. And he, once upon a time, worked with you. Really? Like uh, on Batman with Mr. Freeze, and uh, he was one of your hirees. Oh, no he way. Carolina. He said you wouldn't remember him. I. He was oh, wow. Was what was his name? Craig Vance. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. There was a big show. There was a big crew. Big deal. But he worked with you and Tony. Oh, how funny. Yeah. yeah, and just, I don't know how long. You know, that's, anyway, he, he said it was brief, and he did uh, a little stuff back to Detroit, and then moved to North Carolina. And yeah, that's what. That, that video that you're talking okay, about. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I think it's, it's you know you 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 mentioned also in another interview that you know uh, 
if you if you wanted to move out to Hollywood to do effects, but you didn't want to be like a little fish in a big pond when you can kind of be your own thing and your own, you know, out where you lived. And, you know, I, I was just thinking, you know, if you had gone out to Hollywood, you absolutely would have made it and been a top sculptor. No question. I mean, I've worked with everybody and you definitely you would have made it. But I'm so glad you didn't do it. I'm really glad you didn't do it because it would have probably set you back on the thing you're doing now for many years because the pay is really good. So it's really, that's why I have a hard time. You know, I do the conjoint, the conjoint show is all about getting effects sculptors to start doing fine art because the, the talent is huge and talent pool is so amazing in that realm, but people don't really do as oh, much really? fine art. Yeah. And, um, but people don't do it. People effects. People don't do it because the money's so good. And it's like you know, you, you gotta you gotta put your attention to where you're making your money. So I get it. Well, you know, let's. But there's the other element, and the thing that makes me think. Yeah, I really appreciate that. It was really nice of you to say it's that. True. I would absolutely. It's true. But then there's the thing that got me fired from from those <laughs> right. <you know? laughs> players and i remember you just talking about that you know you want to try to make the movie better and the guy's not listening and stuff like i have that issue right? <laughs> i understand and i had to fuck horns with so many people in the animatronics field and you know frankly a lot of the times i was right right you know like if, if, if then they didn't listen to me and the thing failed because the thing that i told them to do they didn't do and that was why it failed and yeah, there was a lot of that. There was some of it where I was wrong, of course, you know. Um, but but you know, I would have probably got drummed out of there just because <laughs> bullhead sometimes. And I don't like to admit that, but I've gotten to the age where I just have to. You mm -hmm. know, so a lot of the reason I'm doing what I do on my own is because um, I'm socially crippled. <laughs> <laughs> it comes to compromise sometimes i just want to see it done this way and yeah but, to let it go even if it even if it costs financially yeah but that that's that's a that's a blessing for the fans for for us the fans because you know that's what leads to this amazing work and and you've got the vision to back it up so you know uh i'm glad i'm glad you took the path you did i i, I wish that i had I didn't start painting or trying to do fine art until I was 33 years old. I don't know what time or when you started, but I'd wish I, I always wished I would have started a little younger because I didn't start well, painting or. But you, but you paint like a guy who's been painting since he was three. Oh, you know? thanks. I mean, it's a, I, I really think that, it, you know, painting or sculpting, it isn't the hand or the technique. It's the, it's the mind behind it all. Mm. And, that, you know, you, you grasp your technique really fast. Oh, and because uh, I'm a big fan of yours, too. And I watched your work develop and I love your look. You know, you've created your own aesthetic. Oh, thanks. You know, it's a signature thing. It can, it, 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 it's, it's, uh, I mean, you've kind of done for dark art what, like, Casa did for cubism. You know, you're so, I'm trying. <laughs> you created a certain aesthetic that, you know, much the way Blom created his aesthetic, you know, I heard you guys talking about, you know, you didn't want to be too close to one artist. You've created your own unmistakable Chet Zar thing. Oh, and, uh, and I've tried to, as a sculptor, I've tried to, I'm sure I've done my share of 
famous monsters of Tomland and stuff like that. I really enjoy those. But, you know, and, and of course, Mike Hill, that's his, I mean, he kicks ass. Right. He, yeah, yeah. But, but. His. Yeah, but yeah. your 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 thing, uh, you know, I've seen you. You've done, you know, yeah, you've done the famous monsters, and and you can do it just as well as anybody. But you know, your original creations to me are like I would so much rather see you doing your that's guys what, than yeah. you know well, that's. And I'm gonna probably do that until I'm dead. Yeah, good, you know? good. <laughs> I want to sort of create my own vast sideshow, right? Of of, of people and they all have deep stories and and a lot of the story is for the viewer to figure out you know no, I know. Uh, it's just if you lock into all the details and why does he have that ring of keys and why is he, mm-hmm. uh, is he missing one eye and where's that scar come that stuff right you know? yeah. yeah 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 it's 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 amazing there, the, you know there's this one guy one character I, I don't know the name of it but um oh, I, I Every time I see it, I'm so jealous of it. And it's it's the, the guy with the scalpel. Oh, Dr. Nighty Knight. It's so amazing. That... <laughs> What's that? that? You know how that piece was born? Uh-uh. That, that piece was there. When I was in North Carolina, I made friends with this lady who bought a, a she had this big flea market, and it was called the Old Mill uh Flea market. She had a. It was like a, it was a uh, a textile mill that got changed into a flea market. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just a building that sat empty. And then she bought it, changed it into a flea market. And I was in there all the time looking for crap to do. And we got to be good friends. Raylene. She's a sweet lady. She and she's like you. She loved animals. And she adopted every stray. <laughs> and this was an area in North Carolina where there were a lot of dog fights. You know. And yeah. so she got a lot of dogs that were rescued from busted dog fight rings. Oh, cool. She, you know, she would find them homes, and she's still doing it now. Wow. You know, I'm still, still doing it. And anyway, I walked in there one day looking for something else, and she wheeled out an antique wheelchair and said, Hey, I got a present for you. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. So I was staring at this chair for a long time, and I loved to weld. You know, so I got pulled my welder out and I started making, you know, I, I wanted to make a, a funky looking Jules Fern motor. And I was inspired by the, the Sally, you know, the, the guy from Nightmare Before Christmas with the brain. Right, yeah, yeah. Brain and that, uh, that, that mad doctor from Nightmare Before Christmas. I started thinking about something like that, you know, and so I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting and this is what I do. I sit. And I would sit in my studio and I would sit and stare at whatever it is that started the inspiration oftentimes. Uh. And I'd be this thing and I started seeing this mad doctor with a face like the guy from from uh, uh, what's the the movie um, Poltergeist. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, that guy's face was amazing. Same. You know, yeah. that guy that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that guy, I, that, uh, that, he had the creepiest face, so I started sort of plugging in his face to the, this mad doctor, and I thought, what would power his wheelchair, you know? Uh-huh. And I'm pulling all these old vacuum cleaners apart, stuff like that that I got from Raylene's flea market, and 
I thought, no, it's going to be a headless dude. You know, it's going to be a head that has his neck capped off like a sewer lid, and then this little receiver in there, so he would have this thing where he would just shout orders, and it would, you know, left, and the thing would turn left, right, you know, and he had a little IV of magic elixir, that, and this is how these things would happen. Right. And it would happen a little bit at a time where I'd be working, and that was, it, the journey was the creation, where I, I didn't do a drawing. There was uh, no drawing. Really? Just, any no, maquette sculptures, or did you just go for it? Just go for it. You know, in the one of the things I have to say in the animatronics field, we had these salespeople that just did not understand that deadlines could kill us. You know, that they would promise the world to the client, and then they would come back and tell us. Oh God, I hate that. Done in two months, and it's it's four months worth of work, and. And they just never understood that this thing takes time. So I had no time to experiment, and that was boot camp for me. Right. I became like a Marine for, you know, in, in this in situations where I just thought, I'm just going to go into it. Because I didn't have the time to work it out. Right. So, so I would just go in, I'd just dive in and, and start pulling out all my crap. And, Interesting. And, yeah. And so... You know, I had him powered. He was zombie powered by a a body with no head that had motor movement that could push a wheelchair. It's so amazing. <laughs> this magical elixir that both kept him from dying and right. kept his he has his motor and he had this you know stanchion off the back of his wheelchair that would hold him up to keep him from dropping over because he had no sense of balance, but he could still move his legs. And that was story that yeah. It's, it's so incredible. It's so cool. I just love it. It's, you know, it's, I, I noticed that, you know, as much as we all have our own individual styles, like let's say me, you, Jordu as well. It's like, we all slightly cross over a little bit. You know what I mean? It's like, it's almost like our, we, we, we create these worlds, but the worlds are almost kind of cousins of each other or something. You know what I mean? Like, well, we did grow up in the same era. I think that's what it is. You know, my first memories are of, I mean, the first things that I can remember are of this nature. It was Big Daddy Roth. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, that was, I was born in 1960, just about the time he was making the scene. And 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 we had, we had, Gulardi was on, on, Television 8, you know? Right. And, and so there was a nighttime horror host that was coming out. And he sort of really, really made that more famous than it already was. And, you, and yeah. That was, and I was that with my dad. And my dad was, he liked to do chalk drawings of like the Varga girls, you know? Uh-huh. Illustrate stuff in the basement. He was a photo engraver. Hmm. You know, so he had some talent, um, but he did the. Uh, newspaper, uh, the etchings on the cylinders, it printed off these giant cylinders that were as big as a house. He did that acid etchings that were for the Sunday paper. That oh, was wow. what he did. You know, so he had a kind of a blue-collar skilled profession that, you know, and, and then he'd come home when I was a really small kid and, and do these chalk drawings. And that was my first memories of those things. And, and he would take us out trick-or-treating. 
and the mask that you talked about of the Topstone Caveman was he wore with a hunchback taking us up. Those are my first memories. Yeah. Like this, with the blue molded pumpkins and the, the <laughs> mask that Bob was talking about. Right. And I was rat, rat think was that costume is that Cooperstown or that whatever Collegeville costume is worth a fortune today. Yeah, I know. It was on my body. Yeah. You know, I with a flashlight, you know, and a and a plastic pumpkin with that costume on, and that was the most joyous stuff, you know. Right. And and I really believe that it's got into like it did with you, it got into my DNA and made me go, I love this. And in, in spite of all the other hard stuff in life, that was my happy place. Right. You know? Yeah. And you, you you know, you being born in nineteen sixty, you See, a lot of the stuff, I was born in 67, so, you know, I don't remember anything until, like, the very early 70s. And a lot of the stuff I got from my older brother, like, a lot of, I discovered the Aurora kits, like, the, the cave, there was the Caveman series of Aurora kits. I got those from my brother. And a lot of the monster toys, like the Creepy Crawler Thing Maker, I got those as, like, hand-me-downs. And you, the 60s was, like... The 60s was it for that period of monster toys and stuff. We didn't have, we, you know, winners were long and hard. And, and you know, kids were stuck in the basement and, you know, stuff like that. And, and, um, and so, the, we, you know, I'm a Rust Belt kid to the core. You know, I was raised in pretty much a blue collar family, mm-hmm. blue collar and sisterhood. Same and, here. We didn't have the outdoors. You know, I remember you were mentioning the surfer guys. And, you know, we played football until we couldn't see the ball and somebody would get a bloody nose. You know, and then we and, and do stuff and watch. You know, weekends were spent watching the ghoul, uh, which was the 70s guy in Cleveland. And then, and then who and Big Chuck. And it was all monster movies. Yeah. And that was, we pulled a hide bed out, you know, this old, crappy hide-a-bed that was in my family room and all these kids would get on and eat crap until their stomachs exploded and drink sweet pop and, and sit and watch party and or the ghoul and ruin and a big chuck and, and see monster movies and, and go through our monster magazines. And, it was so, and that, yeah. yeah. It was so yeah. amazing. It was such an amazing time. Yeah. yeah. It really was. Uh, I wanted to, what, what was this? I was, th- hold on. I was thinking of something that you mentioned that I thought was really, it was something else that I, I had said before. Oh, you were talking about um, in an interview how you, you felt like the, the dark stuff is so much more interesting Yeah. as a subject. I've always, I've said that exact same thing too. It's like, like I, I mentioned before, if you look at, you know, the garden of earthly delights by the Bosch painting, the one that everyone talks about is, is the hell one, the hell rail. That's the cool one. It's so much more interesting. Yeah, it's it's Greek tragedy, you know? It's, right. And um, I think, you know, again, going back to the earliest memories, Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And I love, I absolutely love what Guillermo said about monsters are his patron saints. Absolutely. They're mine and yours. And they are because I was, I was a wimpy, bullied, little, scrawny, mm-hmm. pretty. I had, I had 
my share of friends, but they basically, and a lot of it was pity. I had my share, of, but that's what I was. I was just, I was really kind of outcast. Right. And, a lot of, and some of it might have been inside my head, you know. My, I might have not been as quite as outcast as I believed I was in my own mind, but that's how I felt. Right. I felt I felt apart. I mm-hmm. felt different. Um, I felt strange. I wasn't a sports guy. I, right. I could interested in. You know, I, I was. I was always the last guy picked when we, they were doing the the pick for baseball. I was pretty. I was a pretty mean little shit in football. <laughs> uh, football. I tackle with the best of them. And I could fight, but but I wasn't. I couldn't throw a ball to save my life. Yeah. You know, I had the worst accuracy. Uh, I joined wrestling, and and of course the two state champions were in both weight classes that I was in. So you know, <laughs> I never got to wrestling, and I'm on there. I, I, the only thing I shined in was was making monsters. Yeah. And, and uh. And doing artwork, and and so that was kind of. I used to curse that I had so many issues, and now I'm very grateful for it because had I had, I had to, um, you know, had I had the ability to do anything else, I probably would have done it. Right. And it, you know, uh, there's so many, uh, hey, Buffy. There's yeah. so many. It's <laughs> a great Dane. Sorry, she's barged her way in. <laughs> Let me shut this door off. Sorry, my my grand my grandkids are over and they brought the dog over. We have shared custody of the dog. <laughs> so what were you saying? Um, you know, that that was I can't remember. <laughs> no, we're, you know, it was you're talking about being the outcast and, and the monster movies were like our right, yeah. thing, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. It was, um, it, that was my happy place the whole time. Was, yeah. Was going. yeah. Oh, oh, I know what I was talking about. If, if I would have been, if I would have been good at anything else, I would have, I would have had a shitty life. Yeah. <laughs> because I would have been just okay at something enough to get paid for it. Right. You know, uh, the biggest I ever had with my father was that you know his best friend was a was a was a mechanic at United Airlines, and I got out of college with a with a with a degree in in uh, studio art. Okay. I and I hadn't been hired by anybody yet, and I was trying to make a portfolio. And he said, "Rick's got a job for you at United Airlines," and you know, as taking tickets and. You know, and I'm like, I don't know the first thing about any of this crap. Hey, it doesn't matter. It was, all you need is a college degree. And it got to be this horrible thing, you know, where he was so mad at me because I wouldn't take this job. Mm-hmm. And, and because it's got benefits, you know, right. and I get it. And I understand where he was coming from. I, I understand, um, you know, he grew up in an age when, you know, he lived through the Great Depression and stuff. And, and having a good job meant everything. Oh, yeah. You know? And so they were so worried that, you know, they were so scared that I was going to be a, a, they never heard the word artist without the word starving in front of me. <laughs> they, they really believed that, that, 
that if you're going to be a studio artist of some kind, you're not going to be employable. Right. So get it. I, because I, again, I grew up in the Rust Belt where everybody had a job and that job was in some sort of service for, for manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, yeah. And so, um, that was what they expected of me. Yeah. You know, it was just, okay, what's he interested? Because if you had a degree, what that meant was, well, he could stick it out and get through college, which meant he was able to commit, you know? Right. It's, that's all it meant to my parents. You know? <laughs> when I got into uh, Kent State, you know. Oh, you went to Kent State? To Kent State, yeah. Wow. And, and You um, probably just missed the Devo guys. Yeah. The guys in yeah. Devo went to Kent State. That's when they formed Devo. Is that the, after the shooting? Joe Walsh went to Kent State. Right. Yeah. In fact, I partied a lot in his dorm room. That, you know. Oh, really? But it was known for being his dorm room. <laughs> I, they were like, if you're going to school for art, you've got to be in graphic design, you know? Right. Because the world needs cereal boxes and <laughs> that kind of stuff, so you'll be employable. Right. You know? And so I went to Kent, and I... And I was in graphic design, and I learned a lot of, you know, and it was before computers, so it was like everything was done on demonstration board with reading pens and exacto knives. And, yeah. and finals came, people were cutting their fingers left, right, and center because of their exacto accidents. And, and those rub-on letters. and <laughs> Press type. Yeah. I had to do all this stuff, and it, <laughs> you know, you can't be and, and everything I had the opportunity to do a monster on, I did, but it was all that crap. And, one, and we had to take elective stuff, you know, to, and so I took a jury and mailsmithing class, and there was this, Bruce Metcalf was my, you know, was my professor there, and, and, and he was the kind of guy that, as long as you did the assignment, you could do anything else, and there was, there was brass and copper, and then there was plastics, and all this stuff that he was incorporating into his work. But I wanted to learn it because that's the stuff I could use in making my stuff, right. you know? So uh, that's what I, you know, I, I, I started taking those classes and without telling my parents, I changed my major. <laughs> I remember my father coming and I, and I made these paper mache characters, you know, and they were like Lord of the Rings kind of guys. Uh-huh. You know? And I made a big orc and I incorporated other stuff that I learned, but I made, and I made a, like the elf from the from that movie, uh, uh, the, the Lord of the Rings, but it was it was the Blanken and Bass cartoon. Yeah, yeah. It was by that, you know? yeah. And he was with this crystal ball that somebody had given me in glass blowing. So I took glass blowing, which I loved, but I wasn't any good at it. Right. And, uh, uh, this architecture professor just bought the stuff. He saw it in the student show, and he was like, "Oh, I gotta have it." So he called me on the last day of school, and 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 uh, all my laundry was like in this big trash bag, and all my shit was packed up. And my father and my uncle were coming to pick me up from Kent, and he says, "Do you still have those pieces?" And they were sitting out on the curb, basically. Oh my god! You drop those off. I'll give you how much do you want for them. And I said, "Um, I, I want five hundred bucks a piece." And this is 1982. Right. You know? That's a lot of and money back then. <laughs> I just worded it out, you know, like, you know, before I could catch it. And so I came 
to his office and he had it laid out in $20 bills on his, <laughs> his office desk. And, and, and he was a big architecture professor. He's still, I checked, he's still out there teaching in wow. guitars. So anyway, I, I collected this big lot of cash from him. And, and, I, <laughs> and my dad comes to pick me up and I'm wearing these shitty little cutoffs, you know, that uh. I could get with back then. And, and this tank. <laughs> And I got all my dirty laundry because I could, didn't, couldn't afford to do laundry. <laughs> bags and, and my records and all that stuff. <laughs> Hold this for me. You know, and I gave him the lot of cash. You know? <laughs> and it's $500 in 20s. You know? And he's looking at this lot of cash. And he's thinking, you're dealing drugs. I knew it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, I sold a couple pieces of work. He's like, you what? You know <laughs> And I said, oh, by the way, I changed my major. And he says, to what? And I said, studio art. <laughs> I said, he says, wow, you can't go to studio art. I said, why not? And he goes, because there's no money in it. And I pointed to his hand, you know, with this wad of cash. <laughs> <laughs> what a satisfying moment. Yeah, yeah, it was just, you know, and of course, that was the last time that happened for a long time. <laughs> for like the first year I was out of school, which was why he was so mad at me for not taking the airport job. But but that's that was kind of how I wound up changing over to to right. the crafts major, which everybody thinks it's basket weaving, but you get a full battery of metal smithing and glass blowing and and fiber arts, you know, and, oh, and yeah. the things that I really wanted. I love to use my hands. This is why I, I can't be a Nothing against the digital world, but I will never be that because right. it's too it's too not hands on for me. Yeah, I got you know, I got into that for a while. I start I did a bunch of digital stuff for a few years just because the um I realized the potential of making your own movies in a by yourself instead of having to have your friends help you. Um and and I really got into it, and it was really difficult for me because I'm terrible with math or any any anything like math specifically, uh, and it's very it's very mathematical process to do animation and stuff, computer animation. But uh, and then I I did animation stuff for tools, live shows, and I made this DVD of of these weird looping animations I did, and. At the end of it, it was so draining. It was so hard. I remember learning it was it was so against the way my brain works. But I pushed through because I was because I'm like you know I'm like a pit bull when it comes to be, learning something I'm interested in. I just like will not let go until I learn it. But it was so taxing on my brain that after I finished this project, I was like, okay, I'm gonna paint. And, and at that point, I started painting and sculpting, and it was and I was just so satisfied with it. I never went back to the computer stuff. You know, it yeah. just wasn't naturally. It's not the same thing. It was all I could learn to learn Photoshop elements, and then no sooner right. that I, I got rid of it, you know. <laughs> I st- I mean, I still use Photoshop and stuff like that, and I am I do like the computer for stuff. I'm I don't I think I'm a little less um, technophobic when it comes to computer that, than you are, maybe. But but as far as you know, where the artwork is, where my heart is, it is working with your hands, feeling the thing. I mean, there's nothing that compares to that. Yeah. In my case, it's the, you know, uh, the learning disabilities, my short-term memory with, you know, right. with learning. the thing that I have a problem with, with the computers is just when you 
you learn where everything is, they change it I all. I know, I know. They do that on purpose, and I, I want to stand behind the guy that, that <laughs> keeps doing that with a ball-peen hammer and put a guy like me in front and say, okay, now do this. And, <laughs> them. and every time, for every extra minute it takes them, I get to wrap the guy on the back of the head with a ball-peen hammer that designed them. <laughs> Guys, the phrases and why do they keep changing it just when I know where everything is? Right, I know. And it's in some ridiculous place under some symbol that has nothing to do with what it represents. And I know. And so my wife has to learn it first, and then she has to. And my wife can; she's really good at speaking Sesame Street language to me. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> knows how to. to communicate to my adult brain in a way that I can understand right. and sit, to, you know, so I can learn it. But she has to learn it first, you know, and she's much better at That's it. That's cool. Me. Hey, what if, as long as you have a system, yeah, you know, my system has got to help me. If I my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want yeah. I, I wanted to ask you also, I was shocked to see, uh, on the uh, Schiffler Brothers thing, that you sculpt in Super Sculpey? Yeah. That yeah. blows my mind. I can't believe you're doing these amazing sculptures in Sculpey. It's the- it's, it really is. I You know, it's just like what kind of motorcycle did you first learn to ride on? It's like, it's like you know, I mean, it, it's really a, a thing of, of what I, I grew up on Sculpey. There was a guy in school, Ben McGinnis who showed up one day in metalsmithing class. I met him at Kent, you know, and he said, hey, check this stuff out. Mm-hmm. I was, until that point, I was working in, you know, to, to do my bigger stuff. The cheap stuff was paper mache. I was making right. paper stuff, you know? Right. I mean, I've seen, you know, uh, some amazing paper mache stuff. And so I was, I was doing that. And, and he said, check this stuff out. And I fell in love with it. Because it was so, you know, I could do so much more with it than I could with paper mache. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. From plastic dolls. So yeah, sc- yeah. Sculpey to paper, uh, paper mache to Sculpey must have been like light years, jumping yeah, ahead, and, light years. You know, and this place called the News and Tobacco Shop, which was like part art store, part tobacco shop, part you know, dirty magazines. It was this old place in Kent that had been there forever. Mm-hmm. They would buy 22 pound boxes of it, and I would save and save my lifeguarding money. Right. You know, <laughs> study, I was a I was in the aquatics department, and I was a lifeguard through most of school, and and buy just cases of that stuff and and use it until my fingers bled, and that was what I grew up. I, I cut my teeth on Sculpey, right. and one of the reasons I like Sculpey is because when I get it where I want it, I can keep the surface so that when I make parting lines i'm not beating up all the detail yeah that i was thinking about that it must make it a lot easier to mold yeah just i take a furniture stripping heat gun you know and, mm-hmm. and the surface so and then i coat it with paste wax and 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 uh, let that paste wax dry and it dried down to nothing and, yeah it makes me want to try it now <laughs> i'm you know and you know i i worked in shabbat for a couple of pieces, and I've seen you get amazing, amazing work at that. I got to look up close at that at, at 
the soft spot. Uh-huh. And I was God, that's so awesome. And did that in, did it in Shabbat. Am yeah. I right? Yeah. 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 I'm like, Holy shit. You know, that's <laughs> awesome. Did it in Shabbat Cause I tried working in Shabbat and it absolutely killed. Me. What was it? Was that, it too soft for you? It was too hard. Oh, too but hard. Didn't know how to use it. Right. So, no, I didn't really understand using the warming ovens and all right, that stuff. I, right. Very, you know, again, I'm, I'm over here where I don't have anybody to learn from. Right. So even in the animatronics field, I was on my own. I was, there was no, there was no guys in the movie industry or anything over there that going, Hey, this is how we do it. Right. Make it up. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was able to make it up and, you know, and I started making my own texture stamps and, and, you know, learning out of uh, a lot of my stuff is I didn't know any better. Right. So, uh, and I'm using brushes from old paintbrushes. And, yeah. How did you, know. you? Did you? Were there any books that you referred to, or were you kind of mostly experimenting, or what? Well, mostly experimenting. I just knew that I wanted to get as close to life as I could. Right. So, you know, um, I I would sculpt from a lot of reference, um, and I just knew that I, I wanted to, to do these crazy monsters and not so much just monsters, but characters. Dark characters. Yeah. It was more dark characters. Than mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to make them so that you could walk up and get fairly close to them and still believe that you were looking at something real. Right. You know? Yeah. And yeah. I looked along the way. And of course, when I discovered silicone, um, that, that was like, oh, this changes everything. So um, you do, so you do your sculptures and sculpting. I want to know though, what how, what do you do for your kind of understructure? And and then do you do layers and, and harden them with the heat gun, or do you end up putting I, it in an oven to bake it in the end, or what? A number of ways that I approach it. If it's something life size, uh-huh. something life size, let's say human head. Yeah. Um, I have a I have a very general rubber silicone mold for a skull and i'll just mix up some three pound foam okay i'll pour it in that skull mold and tape it closed and let it rise and harden and then i've got something that i can carve that skull the general skull into and i can add and subtract using tin foil or whatever else and get the and get the um and get the armature part of it as close to what I want, and the, the nice thing is, if if the if the foam skull gets in the way of, if I want the forehead to be lower, for instance, and if there's too much, I'll just pack away the foam, and then just sculpt over the foam that still remains. Okay. So you know that's what I do is, and if I I've got a big, I I got a mannequin years ago that was just a straight body mannequin. Um, just a guy standing straight up in that very general mm-hmm. and, and I'll fill that full of foam and pop it apart, big fiberglass mold, and cut that foam and reposition it using uh, bamboo skewers like for barbecue. Oh, wow. And yeah, and I'll start skewering that thing and the limbs in the position I want them and then and I'll just keep adding foam into between the parts that I cut and stuff like that. And this is what, you know, this is a thing I developed at Life Formations. Uh, you know, 
did in the animatronics field and just keep doing that until I get what I want and then use my files and my rasp and all my air tools and <clears throat> I got a big air compressor in my garage and I'll sit with a I got a body saw that and I put a big hacksaw blade. Mm-hmm. Body saw, air saw, you know. Right. Say what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. What was that again? Say that last part. I cut out. It's used for cutting sheet metal. Oh, cutting sheet metal. Okay, yeah. I'll take the little sheet metal blade out and put a big long blade in there. Right. And the. The stroke on that saw is so short, you can grab it with the other hand and not cut your skin. Oh, wow. It's moving like a little toothbrush. Oh, cool. But you against foam, and it buzzes right through the foam. Wow. The foam. Yeah. I can foam like a hot knife through butter, you know? That's great. Yeah. And then when you get it, you can, so you can organically shape by grabbing that blade and twisting it around. You can shape styrofoam or in my case, three-pound foam from Smooth-On, mm-hmm. and I'll carve a body out of that, and when I get it where I want it, I'll either sculpt Sculpey over it, or if it's going to be under clothing, I'll cut it in, in fiberglass. Right. Just, and make it that, so that part of it is, and, and that's one of the ways I do things. Wow, know? that's amazing. So as, 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 as far as the, uh, <clears throat> The the Sculpey. So you you uh, I'm just curious myself because I think it's fascinating. So you 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 kind of get as close as you you're, you're sculpting with the, the rigid foam head. You're actually kind of sculpting it the way you want it to look, and then the bones. Yeah, right. Sure the, uh, just a sculpt with a little more beef on the sculpt, enough that I can play with the clay. Right, right. Just to to make it smaller frown or make it, you know, raise or lower the eyebrows. So it's basically, it's almost a, skull, a skeletal-like face, and the body is still right. to make my decision. That is and so cool. And it was just proud of not knowing any better and still keeping myself options. Yeah, I mean, if it were, it were, obviously it works for you. Hold up. I'm going to yell at my dogs. Hold on one second. No! Hey! Hey! Leave it! Sorry about that. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, so when you're, do you, because uh, I, I, I went through a period where I was using Sculpey to make these small figures because I was interested, because I found out that you can kind of bake layers of it and you can kind yeah. of, you can adjust almost how how stiff the material is by how much you bake it. So if you want to get into detail, you can kind of bake it a little bit, but not all the way. Do you do that? And then like kind well, of, I use it straight out of the package, and it and it goes straight out of the package until I have the final sculpt. Really, without any baking? Yeah, Holy I, shit! Because it it takes away once you bake it. It's done, you know. I mean, yeah, but can't you like slightly bake it and make? Because I remember people saying you could bake it a little bit and then like almost press detail into it or carve it a little bit. That's never worked for me. Huh. I I've done a little bit of experimentation early on, and I mean years ago when I was very young. Still, first start. I first started using it in my 
in my 20s, you know. Mm. Of course, like I, like I say, I'm in my late 50s now. But um, um, it, it hasn't really changed. I mean, again, I just, it's what I grew up on. Yeah, so no, I, it's amazing. I know the material better than I know any other sculpting medium. I just, a lot of it's, I mean, you know, I, I, I played with Monster Clay. Arnie sent me out some Monster Clay. Mm-hmm. And I can see how you can get some fantastic results with Monster Clay. But, but Sculpey's what I grew up on. And now, what, from what Arnie tells me, he's got a new uh, competitor to Sculpey. And I'm looking forward to trying that. Yeah. Oh, some new stuff, you know? Yeah. But, frankly, Sculpey is just a one end. It's silicone, you know? It's, it's going to be torn out of a mold and put in a trash can. It's just got to get me to what I want. Right. In the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, it's, it probably holds up well when you when you demold it too, just to have, right? Comes out in chips, you know. I mean, oh, I, does I, it? Well, I it's baked just on the surface. Oh, so okay, I, okay. Make hard molds. I make hard molds. You make hard molds. I make hard molds because, again, I, I came out of the animatronics industry. I got used to making molds that way. Like what material? Then, um, I like, uh, I've used a number of different things, but I use smooth out epoxy coat for my my initial coating. Mm-hmm. And then I've got stuff with either plastic paste or um, uh, the stuff called smooth on air, which I've started sculpting with to sort of modify bodies. It's just, it's like working with marshmallows. It's really awesome. Wow. Yeah, Smoothon's got so many cool things well, nowadays. Friends is their is their head of advertising, Chris Mosley. And and he and I do lectures for Smoothon. Yeah, I saw that. And I do these things that last a whole day and people come out and it's really hands on and I and I I take them through and I just open up my brain and say, ask any question and I'll give you an answer of you know, right? I, and and a lot of I've learned as much as I've given from the people that have showed up there, going, "Oh, you do this, well, I do this." Yeah, there with more knowledge than what I went in with as well. Yeah, that's what when so, I started teaching painting, that's what I found. I learned a lot just by verbalizing what I was doing as well. Really helps yeah. you to learn. Yeah, it's like it's that I love Bob Ross. You yeah, know? <laughs> that, that whole happy little trees thing. I mean, right. that was how to handle this. It would be like a cooking show where you'd have stuff ready to go. And Chris is awesome because every time they come up with something new that he thought would would be applicable to what I do, he'd call me, and we go on vacations. Our families go on vacations oh, that's together. Awesome. We're going like in June to you know this cabin in in uh, of this beautiful woods in Ohio, I'm going to get together and brainstorm some stuff. Oh, cool. But, but uh, anyway, he every t- he's a materials guy. Yeah, yeah. So you know, Those guys are knows. so valuable. Oh, he's been priceless. He, he introduced, I was working with Tin Cure Silicone and when he first called me, he goes, hey, I know you're working with uh, Tin Cure stuff and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't smooth on it. It was from uh, Walco. Yeah. You know? And and he said, uh, we want to send you out some stuff and you try it out, you know. And it was platinum pure stuff. Yeah. And thank God, because it's the best, man. I 
I switched to platinum a few years ago, and I was like, "What the hell was I doing all this time using tin care?" All that tin care stuff that all those beautiful monsters, I, everybody is starting to fall apart. I know now. it's a bummer. You know, thank God he did it when he did because it was before it got. I was getting into doing this more expensive stuff. You okay. know, so ah, uh, you know, yeah, dragon skin is. It, do you use dragon skin? Dragon skin's amazing. Yes, that's fine. That's what I use. Yeah, yeah. that's the, you know I have to say kind of as a side note, um, Smooth On Company has made has I've never seen such an amazing transformation because Smooth On in the eighties was like the material the products that I, were like urethanes they were horrible difficult to work with they wouldn't cure sometimes it said if you it's it, there was notes on it if you get any. If you get this on your shoes, you must discard your shoes. It was like super toxic. It was not, not right, but it was not user friendly. And something happened, and they just became this totally amazing user friendly company. And then they started pumping out these products, and it's like that place is like a godsend for people like us. If you ever, I really, I know I tried to talk you into this before, but if you ever get the opportunity to come to a LuxCon. Oh, I know. Um, I know. He asked me again. Patrick, I know. Um, I want to go. Show, it's it's strictly the show itself, the jury show is strictly uh, fine art. There's no digital anything. It's strictly, you know. Right. And, and it's your world. Man. It's, I know. I've met so many uh, awesome painters there, Greg Hildebrandt, and, oh, and then wow. Tom's been there twice. Yeah, many times I'm not sure. And the last time he was there, I had the most wonderful time with Lori. We went out like like rummage sale shopping. <laughs> got some great stuff, you know. But where but is it at? It's in it's in Redding, Pennsylvania. Okay, and it's in this place called Goggleworks, and it's a it, it, it's an old goggle factory from World War II that's been turned into an art center. Wow. And they always, you know, uh, Boris Blayo and, and Julie Bell and uh, all these phenomenal painters. And, and it's a, we all go out to dinner together and, and, and it takes, it's over a course of like a, almost a full week. Oh. Of, and I go there every October to recharge my creative bag. Yeah. Because you get so much from these people. But the other thing, is right near there um, is in McCungie, Pennsylvania is the Smooth Out headquarters. No way. Which, which is it's like, remember the warehouse in at the end of Indiana Jones where they right. it's like you could fit that inside of Wuhan's headquarters. <laughs> it's huge. It goes on forever. And what they did was they bought the old day timers, the day timers, the notebooks before computers and cell phones came along. Everyone had these notebooks that had all these calendars and papers yeah. in them and stuff. Like I remember that. those. <laughs> and it was like that place was huge. And then computers just put them out of business. Right. Sold that place for a song and smooth on bought it. And that's when everything changed and they started making these giant. That's a user-friendly chemical. Right. But it's not it's 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 not only the materials, but the way that 
they've presented everything the way they have the two bottles different colors so you don't mix up it's like some some marketing genius came in there and just turned that company around i don't i, I have to applaud that guy yeah yeah there was a number of guys the plastic cooling supply was sort of their precursor except with some other place i don't know i get some of this wrong right there was a guy show up he was a wait hold on hold on one second this hold on i'm sorry it, it makes the microphone cut you out the dog is barking so loud so i'm sorry hold on one second johnny hey no hey hey no Lisa, hey, Lisa. Hello. Okay. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> every time, oh, this fucking dog. It's cutting off your voice though, because it's so loud. It's like every time my vo- my voice comes on, it like you cut out. So. It's the with you, and you'll shut up. Yeah, <laughs> that's. Right there next to you. That's what I do. And they, you know, if they get too loud and I'm talking on the phone, they'll just sit with me and go, okay, I'm cool now. Yeah, I think it's because the kids went out on a walk with my wife and they're just coming back. So, anyway, I'm sorry. Go back to what you're saying if you can remember. Way back when I was still with the toy industry, uh-huh. there's a guy um, that, that, um, that used to show up with a key ring full of little samples. Right. And I was eating my lunch down in the lobby because uh, uh, we, you know, we had this, and I just bring a sack lunch, and I saw him come show up, and the the, the gatekeeper to TCFC would call upstairs, and they would start to turn him away, you know, George, and he was he was the classic traveling salesman, wore the suit and tie, carried a briefcase. Smelled like coffee and cigarettes. <laughs> a briefcase with catalogs in it, and he had a key ring full of samples. And I followed that guy out to the hood of his car, and he showed me stuff. And I said, "Give me some of this stuff, and I'll I'll sell it for you." Because they were turning us away. So I took it up, you know. And we were still making, we were still using old materials, and he was the beginnings of what I later found out to be smooth on. Oh wow. And Plastic cooling supply. Amazing. And, and so George would show up later and, you know, like, and, and, and I would bring him up and show my, my bosses, you know, look what this guy has. Let's make some different, let's make some bendable stuff and some, you know, he's got this pliable plastic you can pour in and it bends and it cures better and it's not sticky mm-hmm. and it's you know they were developing stuff and so they started and they were traveling around doing this and they finally got it that those garage guys like us that weren't in these high-tech industries where you had to have rocket scientists chemists to use this stuff there were guys that wanted to use this in the hobby world right a lot of them too first to understand that so they worked on that presentation. That's great. And you know, and then when the computer came along and YouTube's and stuff, and they said we're going to make this idiot proof. Yeah, you know? that was really. So, they really polished. You know? Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. They're just fun people, but I would want to bring you out 
to their plant, which is like a half an hour from me. Right. You know, give you the grand tour with, with Chris. Oh, I'd love to. So, yeah, well, now, I'll make it out there one of these years. I mean, I, I, I had planned on this year being my year where I stopped doing as much. And then I realized there's still a bunch of stuff I have to do. So hopefully next year, maybe I could do it next year. Come out. But, um, uh, so, okay. So I'm still wrapping my head around your, your sculpting technique. So you do, you, you do that, you harden it, you, and then, and then from there, you're kind of traditionally, are you doing brush up molds or matrix molds? I'm doing, I'm doing uh, brush up and then I would, uh, I'd have to put a parting line on stuff. Right. I'm going to be cracking it open, and uh, sometimes it's just a two-part around the head. Right. Sometimes I did a monk recently that was like, you know, it was crouched. It was a flying monk. Yeah, that's right. Size of a uh, the size of a a a capuchin monk, and um, it was it was a complicated mold. It was like six parts. Right. Yeah, and you do all the molding yourself and casting as well. That's a, there's the deal right there. You know, I was listening to you guys talk about, you know, what goes into your work and and uh, you know, I did a show out in Columbus, the Oddity show where I had this big devil that I did. It was from old, it was old scratch from the um, from uh, uh, the devil and Daniel Webster. That's Washington right. It's plastic, and and I had the price on it, and just the general public can see this stuff, you know. And everyone was looking at me like, "Why is it so expensive?" You know. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, you know what it takes to do this? So much work. Materials alone, and then there's rooting every hair, and and I do every aspect of it. I make the clothing. I do all the hair work. That's amazing. I, do, I make the eyes, or I get taxidermy eyes or something and I collect the, all the goodies that go into it and I I, I pour my own teeth I make my own um, wow. and I paint the skin I do every every step of the way that's amazing I, that aspect of it and I know you know a lot of the guys uh, if I could hire somebody to do my hair you know mm-hmm. uh, work. I know that out on, on the west coast there's people that are really, oh yeah, really, yeah, you know. And boy, I wish I had some people here, but this <laughs> this is not an area that that breeds right. You know, this is that breeds guys who you know are good at pouring cement. Right. You know? <laughs> I was I was wondering if do do you get like pushback from the community with just the part of the country you live in? It's it's sort of conservative out where you lived, right? Because I know a lot of people, especially people that are into monsters that grew up back east or in the Midwest, they, they got yeah. people think they're sat- Satanists, you know? Well, I, that's one of the reasons I left North Carolina. We lived in North Carolina. Oh, you're Carolina. in Ohio right now. That's right. I was thinking North Carolina. Yeah, right. But Ohio's well, I, still got some conservative areas as well. Wow, yes. Uh, there's more monster lovers up here. North Carolina was a dead zone for this kind of thing. Really? Because all Baptists. Church. There were more Baptist churches than there were houses there. It was crazy. Wow. It was insane. I mean, every, you know, whenever you would meet somebody new on the street, my wife and I in the town we lived in, the first question out of our mouth was, 
What church do you go to? Oh my God. I'm agnostic. I mean, I'm right. not, I don't, there might be something out there. I don't know, but I, and I, and there's been something that's worked in my life spiritually, usually through a 12 step program, but it is, yeah, yeah. I, there's no mythology in my Right, right. Yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally with you there. Yeah, it's, it's, but, and as soon as they found out that, that I didn't go to a church and buy into that whole thing, I was, their, their, their conversation kind of got real uncomfortable and then they would part company and, wow. and step away. And that, there was a few exceptions to that. There, the cops loved me. Really? I had my, and I got to be friends with the, the chief of police. So he's bringing all his new recruits over. And so that was kind of cool. <laughs> and Baptist, you know, but he was an open-minded. Yeah, Baptist. that's cool. And, and so he was bringing all his buddies over. And then pretty soon these guys are bringing stuff for me. Like, oh man, when I was in, when I was in uh, Iraq, I got this coat from this guy and I was never going to use it. So could you use it? And I found it. Now from some cop gave me this. And I get that kind of stuff. So they were always stopping by. And I always looked from to the neighbors driving by like I was trouble because there was always cop cars in my driveway. <laughs> so, but, but we moved away from there mostly because of that, you know. Right, really? That. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I know, guess, and, yeah, I guess it's hard to make for, friends. My wife's family is all up here, and we were missing, you know, her parents. Uh, we, she wanted to be around her parents you know, in their golden years. And, and she's, we're still doing that. We just went to an art museum a couple of days ago with them. Had an awesome time. Right. Uh, and my nephews are growing up and we're missing that. So we moved back up to Ohio because we wanted to be near her family. Mm-hmm. And that was important. You right. Know? But it's also um, a, a better environment for your work as well. You think? Hello, they're still very conservative. Here. Yeah. Yeah. So we just don't talk about it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> the dirty little secret. <laughs> well, I got I go to group uh to breakfast with a bunch of guys every Monday morning that are all liberals. Oh, okay. <laughs> sit in a conservative breakfast greasy spoon with Fox News up on all the walls <laughs> and rumble. Oh You're like in the in the heart of it, living in the the heart of the beast. However, everything is around here. It's not a whole lot different. And, right. And I'm nervous about it. I'm, I'm more scared than I've ever been in my life about the state of our country. But I know. It's scary. It is. It's terrifying. You know? Yeah. So, it's, yeah. At least uh, he's completely incompetent. That's the only thing I take solace in. Well, I, don't, I, I, I take it to he's completely evil. And um, I... It scares me because he's got a lot of backup. Yeah, but he's such an idiot and an egomaniac that you cannot, uh, you know, it would be one thing if he had, like, if he if he was able to keep his ego in check and yeah, had an yeah. agenda. His agenda is just about himself, you know, so, which is scary, yeah. too, but. There's a group of people that are backing him that that's, that's, it's all about more for them. Right. But the reason, you know, like I, and I, I have to restrain myself because I've never been all that politically. Even during the Bush years, I was like, "We'll get through this." Right. And now I'm, I'm a more than anything. I'm an 
hardcore environmentalist. I think we are a DEFCON 5. Oh, absolutely. That's the and, biggest thing, biggest issue running. Yeah. That should be the primary concern for everybody. Yeah, and, and I get so much flack. And I'm like, dudes, he's breaking things that we can't fix. I know. And he's and he's doing it on purpose. He's lifting up stones and going, what can I fuck up over here? Yeah. And what can, you know, let's take the absolute worst person to put in charge of something and then climate change in, in there. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's insane. Like, it's like Jeffrey Dahmer in charge of your Boy Scout group. Right. <laughs> That's crazy shit, you know. Yeah. I don't drop on that tangent, but I, I was I was listening to what you and Brown were talking about, and and um, and that's a that that's a kind of thing, you know. I, I went and saw a shrink about this, yeah. And what he said to me was, "Artists are going to save the world. Artists oh. are going to save the world." And I was there was was a more questions than answers in that one statement. How is that going to happen? And I remembered how Vietnam ended, and it was because the musicians got together and made yep. the music yep. happen. I yeah, I think that I, I I agree. I kind of agree that 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 artists kind of are the ones pushing the culture forward, or what you know, create creatives or, or whatever you want to call it, creators. What's that? They always have been. I or, mean, there was there was a time when I lived in Toledo. I lived in Bowling Green. Ohio, for, and that was when, you know, when I was with the animatronics company. And there was a guy that came to visit the Toledo town, the heads of the town. Mm-hmm. And they had this perfect area to, and it wasn't doing well, but it was a, it was a, it was a waterfront thing, you know, it was right on the lake and stuff. And, and, and so it was, it was prime area. And they, and he came to see him and did a lecture. I can't remember. I think it was at the art museum. I heard about it later. Mm-hmm. But so I said to, and he was a he was an economist. His name was Richard Florida, and and so he did a study of what makes economies grow, what makes things happen, to make money, influx of cash, infuse towns and cities and stuff, and. And and they all thought it's industry, uh-huh. you know. And here we make car doors. And Toledo's big thing was that was where Champion Spark Club was homed, you know. Mm-hmm. And if, indeed, the first deal that we did as an animatronics company was for Champion Spark Club. Wow, you know. And we did their trade shows for them to make big windshield wipers and stuff. <laughs> I mean, big parts that had personalities to it right so he just got up on stage basically and bitched them out and said you guys are fucking it up this is, should be an arts area you need to start opening galleries and having music halls and stuff the kind of stuff that made new york what it is today right what made new york it's soho and there's all these arts and 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 um you know performance centers, you yeah. know, and every town that's ever done that has had success, every city that's ever done that, Las Vegas, mm. it's champion, brass as it is, it's all arts. Right. That's what draws money. That's interesting. So, yeah. And, and here so, we are thinking like we're miserable, worthless pieces of shit. 
been made to believe that. Right. But the message I kept getting when I was in in the animatronics world was you better you better stay here because if you go out on your own, you're going to be. And I believed it. You know, I was terrified. Right. My wife was the one that said, "Be brave. We got each other. We'll we'll we will get this." You know. Wow. You're doing stuff that seems to be gaining ground. There's a reason why that company started off fairly successful because a lot of it was I was just having these brain farts and we were making things like the brain, you know, right. and, and it was successful and, and, and the company started to take off a lot of due to the crazy shit that I was bringing to it. So I thought, well, if, I, if, if it worked for them, it can work for me on my own. Right. You know? and, uh, and I plugged in that, what makes economies successful? And it's all about the picture on the album cover. Right. Yeah, it's so true. It sells everything. Same not with just, but everything. The book covers, the movie posters, you know, it's like, you think about it. You've got to get, you have to, with the distant flickering in the woods, you know, and and that was what what I was thinking when when I went out on my own is okay, I might not be everybody's cup of tea, but I have a niche which you talked about when we first started talking, and right. I just and I'll cater to that niche. Yeah, and oddly enough, you know, the niche has changed over the years, and um, uh, like more recently, the the Big crowd that seems to be liking what I want or what I do, what I do is the tattoo guys. Yeah, a- absolutely. So, are because so much of what I do is so like what they're putting on people's skin. I yeah, you know? I, I say this all the time. I've said this on many episodes that um, the 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 tattoo industry is a, is one of the biggest reasons why art like ours is becoming accepted because they are into this stuff. And as, and as far as um, art collectors, they're the most amazing art collectors out of any yeah. of the art collectors I've ever met. They're so into art. Like do you think you wouldn't think that if you didn't know the tattoo industry and I didn't before I got involved in it. And um, I just was blown away at how they so loved the artwork. They, they're the biggest art lovers around. Well, it's because they're also the biggest artist in some right. way. I don't have any tattoos. I, I've always wanted one, but I, I would change my mind. My mother said something to me when I was a kid when I first wanted a tattoo. She goes, all right, pick out what you want, put it on your bedroom ceiling, go to sleep with it every night for a year if you still want it. And I couldn't do that for a week. So <laughs> I would change it. And I'm still in that state. But yeah. a that's, I really like. That's the, that's the cool thing about the tattoo community, because I've got just a couple they're meaningful to me, but they're just tiny little ones. I got when I was 18 and um, they don't care. They don't care if you have tattoos or not. They care. They care about the art. You know, they care if you're another person that appreciates tattoos or if you're an artist that has skill, they, they respect skill and people that love artwork and they don't, they're not prejudiced against you. If you don't have tattoos, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty amazing crowd. Oddly enough, you know, I really, when I was young, when I was going through school, my summer job was I guarded at a place called Wildwood Lake. And it was a lake park where 
you took your life in your hands when you went there. It was a quarry that filled up. We had water slides and stuff. And we had the biggest biker crowds out there. And I saw artwork on their skin that was better than a lot of what I saw on museum walls. I know. I, and this is back in 1981, 82, 83. Yeah. You know, um, and, and I'm stopping guys. I'm like, you know, these, these Hells Angel guys are on the beach and I'm like, dude, hold still for a second. They're looking at me like, you know, and then they'd see like, looking at their tattoos and then they'd start, oh yeah, look at this. And there's right. a flying ball and there's a, you know, and there and the lowbrow thing has gotten repopularized, you know, from yep. big rock days because of the tattoo people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we owe we owe them a lot. Definitely. Yes. And uh and they're really into um, monsters. <laughs> It's it's, and I really believe that they are the next. You know, I was listening to what you guys were talking about the blue chip gallery thing. You know, people are onto that bullshit. I think that 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 the popular opinion out there is what they're doing is real. Right. That's real. You know, that is because not only is their campus moving, (laughs) you know. Well, what was it? Not only is what? Is the canvas they're working on moving. Oh, exactly, right. And they're still able to establish the kind of quality that I'm seeing, you know? Yeah, and it's really interesting when you, I got, you know, I started um, considering learning to do it until I realized it was way too hard and I didn't have the time. But there's a whole aspect that I never realized, which is designing a tattoo to to flow with the anatomy of the person. It's really interesting to see. I was going to say was that they have to make it work as a theft. Keep talking, sorry. <laughs> Let the dog out. I'm sorry. God. Sorry. So they have to make it work with, you know, with um, with clothing and with hairstyle. With It's gotten so much more intricate and so much more refined and have it all order to fill. Yeah. Fall, because it isn't just about it isn't just about sticking a a, a, a hula girl on your arm like it was in my grandfather's days. Right. And he got when he was in the Navy when he was fifteen years old and lied about his age and he would always hide his arms because he was ashamed of them. Wow, how cool. Jerry kind of tattoos. Um but they were you know they were the real traditional yeah tattoos. Um, but yeah. now those are cool. Yeah. You know? And some of the, yeah, some of the best artists are tattooing. Some of the best artists in the world are tattooing now. So it's just yeah. another art form. It's cool that it's finally getting respect in the same way that monsters and dark art is finally starting to get respect. But again, I think that really comes out of the, the, the tattoo industry becoming accepted in, in the mainstream and those guys, girls, uh, helping to popularize what we're doing because they're kind of some of the first people some of my earliest supporters were people from the tattoo industry i didn't even realize that they would be buying my work when i was first starting out and then years later i found out when i got into the tattoo industry or started becoming friends with them i realized that oh this guy's an amazing tattooer that's been following me for years you know yeah we've got a couple guys that come out to a LuxCon that are phenomenal painters oh yeah yeah, 
There's some and amazing tattoo artist painters. That's what they're sort of their day job, you know. Yeah. And so they, now they cross over fifty fifty. Yeah. You know, some of them are doing tattoos, and then they then they're doing paintings, and they and the, and the styles from their tattoos to their paintings are like two different people. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and and uh, it's it's you wouldn't know the guy that does the tattoos is the same guy that just did what he did on the canvas. Right. You know? so, yeah. So, uh, what, what do you, we're, we're getting near the end of the, the podcast. I was wondering if you had any thoughts about, um, you, you, you may not have heard on some of the, it's a, a thing that comes up all the time on the podcast is how cool and kind hearted, 99.9% of the dark art community is uh-huh. and how, what an unusual kind of thing that is really. Um, my dad used to tell me about when he was coming up in the art world and he was more, cause he, my stepdad was a, a fine artist. And he said that the, the art community was, these guys were stabbing each other in the back. No one would share with each other what they were doing. Everyone was trying to like get into a gallery and they wouldn't talk to each other at shows. And the art scene now is just the absolute opposite of that. And particularly in the dark art scene, uh, there's just we're supporting each other. Everyone's super cool. There's all these like animal lovers, and and um, I just was curious what your take on that was. Like, I can't even figure out why that is. It is, but I'm not sure why. <laughs> I, liken it, I liken it to what you know. One of the things that Einstein said is, imagination is more important than knowledge. Yeah. The thing. My philosophy is that we've, and I remember those times because I was part of them. I was one of those no shares these kind of guys in my earlier kind of, my mm-hmm. earlier, oh, you want to know this trade secret? Right. You know, not give it away, you know, because one of the things we've learned is it's not the technique. It's Absolutely. It's imagination that's driving the paintbrush or the, the clay or the mold material or whatever it is. And so you're one, one of the things that artists have discovered through behaving this way is that karma is real. Mm-hmm. That, uh, and I really got a lot of this through getting sober and, and going to AA meetings and stuff, is that you have to give it away to keep it. Right. You know, the philosophy of 12 steps is exactly like the philosophy in 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 the art community now where if you if you really want to improve uh let people give away what you have in knowledge and and your community will grow in a way i I don't know exactly how to put it but i know what you're saying what i love about going to a lux time is because everyone they're doing workshops and 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 giving presentations all this is going on while everyone's Showing their work and selling their work to co- collectors that fly out there. Uh, there's there's a stage that is constantly occupied by one artist or another showing his technique, mm-hmm. doing doing uh, slideshows, uh, having doing panels, and it's all about educating each other and growing because we're moving the bar up. You know. Yeah. It's, and we're strong. You know, we're stronger together for sure. I think. It, yeah. You know, uh, the, 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 
I think the benefits come back to you, but but that, the idea of giving it away to keep it is just such a very basic, simple, spiritual, uh, uh, you know, theory, I guess, or or a, a common thing, and it, that runs across all kind of spiritual beliefs. I think. Well, I, I understand intellectual property. I know that a lot of stuff, you know, when, when, where there, there's like, well, I'm making my living using this thing that I've developed over the years, and, I, and, and it's my living, you know? Right. So I understand people not wanting to share certain things, but when, when it comes to doing art, um, in my case, uh, I... I know that it's that it's it's the hand behind the brush and not the brush itself. Yeah, you can but, have all the technical knowledge in the world if you don't have a vision; it's worthless. You know? So the more that happens, the more interest is 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 thrown at it, and and people are afraid. Oh, is, are you afraid that it's going to get glutted? And and my answer to that is no. It's just going to evolve. Right. It's, uh, a lot of the people that came to my seminars. It's smooth on. We're we're interested in it because one of the things that I teach is what I call guerrilla sculpting, mm-hmm. and that is using what's available to you or using your imagination to develop new techniques mm-hmm. and getting mindset to be open minded to make use of something that was never intended to be used that way in your art. Right. You know, and these are just anecdotes. Yeah, I, I, it continues to evolve. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, I remember hearing about people. I think in, it was in New Zealand or something sculpting with margarine. Like, yeah, <laughs> doing these amazing, and they were doing amazing sculptures out of margarine in, in like a in a really cold room because it was like yeah. b- back then it was hard to get any kind of decent clays or anything, so they would use margarine. Well, and, one of my favorite sculptors lately that I just love is Ray Villafane. Oh the yeah, pumpkin. the pumpkin. Yeah, the pumpkins he does with with pumpkins. Now he's doing this digital animation with uh, with with talking potatoes and pumpkins and stuff, and it's awesome. Have you seen this? No, no, I I, I haven't seen any of his animation. That's what I'm talking about. And this guy is the nicest guy in the world. I've yeah. never met him. In- he's but, super cool. But, I've met him a couple times. He's. I just love his work, and and I. And it's just so, it just puts you in a good mood. Right. It's like you look at it and you go, oh, man, I just forgot what I was upset about. Right. It just disappears. And that's that's the effect he has on, on you with his work. Yeah, Ray, and, for anyone that doesn't know, Ray, Ray Villafane, is, he's got, he, was, he got famous for, for his pumpkin sculptures, which are just... He's had quite a career before he ever started doing that, and his work in... Um, in, in, you know, in, in, I can't remember all the companies he's worked for, but I think uh, Sideshow Toys done some stuff for them. Okay, he's a great uh, sculptor. Yeah, but he's just, and I saw some of his work that was commercial, and then you know here he is doing it with fruit and vegetables. You right. know, <laughs> it shares it freely. He shared it. I saw him once on Martha Stewart for God's sake. Wow, you know, and he shares it freely, and it's like. You know, here's the tools you have, and here's it. You know, but but he he's one he's an example of what I'm talking about. Where you know, it's nothing but goodwill and sharing what he does and bringing this this art form to the world that that spreads joy and happiness and stacking rocks and and 
Uh, I just love his stuff. I yeah. just love it. Yeah, he's great. Well, he's great, and you're great. Your stuff's amazing. Um, what do, do you have anything that you're currently working on? Are you just working on commissions, or do you have any big projects in the works that you could let people know about, or plans for the future, or anything like that? Well, I, you know, it, it, uh, I, I've got a couple of things that that I've that I've been sort of flipping around in my brain and I don't know which one I want to do first. Uh, I started it actually on the Shiflet Brothers. I started a sculpt that's going to be called uh, um, The Widow. Mm-hmm. And a Black Widow spider, old Black Widow spider that's been through a number of husbands so, already. So cool. And in, in, uh, I've been collecting uh, mourning garments and I'm going to kind of morph her into a real Black Widow spider from as a human being. So cool. You know, and, and so I've got that kind of thing going. And then uh, I, the other thing I've been wanting to do is I want to do my own rendition of Beauty and the Beast. Oh, wow. Beast. I'll do what I would think. Because the Beast that I've always seen in the Disney stuff, they all, they all have sort of a modicum of handsome still in them. Right. And that's this guy. That I got in mind, you don't want to kiss him. <laughs> He's like Rush Limbaugh ugly. <laughs> and and, uh, and I and I so I've got this vision in there that I might want to tease out of myself in the way that I do where it happens while it happens. It's not right. You know, I always I have a fuzzy image in my head, and and the and the details come out while I'm working. It's not the so interesting that you work that way. I think it's really cool. I mean, I collect a lot of reference, but it's just in case reference. If I go this route, I got a fat guy. If I go this route, I got a skinny guy. Right. I got it. So I'm pulling, you know, you can see behind me there's a bookcase. Just nothing but reference. Right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Reference is key for sure. And so I get it as I need it. You know, I need a reference for an eye. I want to make sure I can prove that that really happens in skin before I make it in Sculpey and then make it eventually in silicone and and so um but that those are the two things that I'm kind of thinking about. Okay. You know? They sound and amazing. The one I started it right on the chip that sculpting from um I started sculpting that head and that and that demonstrates the foam technique you were oh, okay. Uh, all of that's there. Cool. Um, yeah I'll put a link up um in the description. I'll put a link to your website and you have an Instagram? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm on Instagram as well. Okay. Um, At oh, Tom Keebler. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I, my, oddly enough, my wife handles Instagram for me. That's so cool. You don't have to deal with all that shit. <laughs> and she'll sit next to me with her phone, and she'll post the stuff and field comments to me. And I'll comment back, and she'll type it in while I'm working. And we do this a lot. Yeah. A lot of times, her personality is coming, kind of coming through in me. Right. Um, you know, she'll she'll feel the stuff, and so what do you want to say to this guy who just asked this question? And then she'll be the one typing it in. A lot of times, in her words. Right. She sounds amazing. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, she sounds like it. Very good care of me over the years, and put up with a lot of shit. Quite frankly, <laughs> yeah. 
Well, thank her for us <laughs> because we we love your artwork, and uh, I know she's a you. Uh, you said it before. She's she's a big reason for your success. So that's pretty awesome. Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go now. I thank you so much for coming on. It was really fun and really interesting learning about what, what you do. And, and, and I really think, you know, your, your work is you're, you're in a class by yourself. You're your own thing, man. Your, your stuff's, I just can't say enough good things about it. It's, you know, I do say this a lot to guests that come on, but it's because the people that come on are the artists that I love. That's why this podcast is so much fun. <laughs> so I'm not just blowing smoke up everybody's asses. It's like I really, your stuff is, is, it's so inspiring to me. So absolutely inspiring. I see your stuff and I just immediately want to go paint and make something. So the love and respect is definitely mutual. Oh, well. Like I said, I, when you first contacted me all the years ago, I knew who you were, you know? <laughs> ah, dude, you know? So, only there. Uh, that's, I, I, the respect is why uh, you have influenced my work. Oh, we I appreciate it. But it's there. Oh, well, know? definitely. The, likewise, for sure. Mostly on a color palette level. Oh, interesting. You'll notice the colors that are in my work. We share a palette. I like your choice of of colors, and it's it's found its way into my work quite a bit. Oh, that's yeah. so cool to hear. That's amazing. That's the yeah. ultimate compliment. I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. <laughs> look at the color palettes I choose on my more recent stuff. And, I will. And it's hard to see, but it, that was your stuff is what I was thinking. Okay. I was, you know, I was like, I love what Chuck does with, you know, with the way you use yellow. Um, the way you use it that no other artist does. Oh, wow. You know? So, well, thank you. That's amazing. <laughs> well, okay. Thank you for, for, for coming on. Uh, thank you everybody for listening this week. And thank you for your support. As, as always, if you want to support um, the podcast on the Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash dark art society. And if you do that, you can, for just a, a dollar a month, you can get in the secret Facebook group where there's all these amazing artists. I'll add you in because as well, if oh, you don't go on Facebook much, do you? I do. I I I uh, I get on a little bit less, but I need to get away from the political stuff. Yeah. Well, this group is amazing because there's no politics. It's all these dark yeah. artists. So I'm gonna do that. I mean, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> some stuff myself environmentally that concerns me, but my wife that tells me that's not going to change shit at this point. I know it's true. That's. Unfold the way it does, and there's nothing you can do. So I'm learning from her as hard as my head is. We <laughs> understand that. Just be an artist and do that. And yeah, let it go. Yeah, fun thing. Yeah. So, well, I'm gonna add, I'm gonna add you to that group in any case, uh, in case you want to pop your head in there and say hi to people, because I know people will freak out seeing you in there. Um, but anyway, thank you everybody for listening and thank you again for coming on and taking the time. Um, I really appreciate it. And uh, that's it. So goodbye, everybody. Say goodbye, Tom. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> thank Bye. you.